Thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, please check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com. You can also search One Cause Church on Facebook and on Twitter. God bless you. So how are you doing tonight? Anybody, uh, anybody saved in here tonight? Yes. Your child, yeah. a child, a child of God tonight. Yes. So how you doing? Yes. Huh? Anybody for all your sins? Are they all forgiven? Yes. Anybody here in that category? Yes. So how you doing tonight? Yes. Huh? Yes. All right. Anybody in here not in the hospital tonight? Yeah. So how are you doing tonight? Yeah. Any here not in jail? Yeah. So how are you doing tonight? Come on. Yeah. Huh? Well, I guess it ain't all that bad. I was feeling kind of crummy earlier. I didn't have much to eat today. Come on now. Let's get a, let's get a right perspective. You know, the yeah. David, David said when he was talking about going to the house of God, he said, I used to go with the festive throng. Hmm? That's how our approach ought to be about the house of God all the time. It's a festive place. It's an exciting place. I'm going there. I'm going to give everything I got to God, right? Because he's worthy to receive all the praise and the glory, right? Amen. Can I get a good amen tonight? That's why we're not concerned about what style of music, what style of music happens at church. I've been in all styles of music, and I love all of them. I do. I do. I love all styles of music. I love any way to praise God. I appreciate it. Right? Because if we get caught up in a style or a certain way, we'll find ourselves saying things like, I just don't get much out of it there, out of the music. That's why I come late. Right? That's why I I come late. I just don't don't get much out of it. That's the point. You're not supposed to get anything out of it. God's supposed to get something out of it. If we're here to worship you, then you're coming for the wrong reasons. Amen. Amen. So that's why we just come and say, you know, whatever happens here, yes. I'm going to give everything I can to him. That's right. yeah. Come on, can I get a yeah. good amen tonight? Yeah. All right? Because God is the one that's worthy of our praise. Yes, he He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of the honor. All right, now we are in the book of Galatians, and we are in, uh, I think, what part? Part eight maybe at this point. And uh, we are going to look at starting in verse... 22. Who said 22? Miss Velma? She's keeping me straight. Let's, let's, start, let's start in 21. Can we do that, Miss Velma? Can I have your permission to back up one verse? <laughs> I'm so glad to see all of you here tonight. I'm so glad to see all of you here uh, whole and healthy and not caught up in a tornado somewhere and Landed over in some field somewhere. Why don't we pray right now? I, was, I just want us to pray for all those who, who've suffered damage. Thank God nobody got killed. Can you believe that? I mean, all that destruction, and God is watching over us. Father, we just thank you right now. First, we want to say thank you for your protection over the lives of people. Lord, even those who, who faced injury, even those, God, who, who, uh, who, felt, who faced destruction. Lord, we thank you that you are a repairer. You are our healer, our restorer. And we pray, God, for those bodies that were injured to be made whole 
whole and healthy in the name of Jesus. Father, we also pray for those who lost homes, who lost possessions. God, we just pray right now for your intervention upon them, Lord, that you would, you would be with them and you would bring supply back to their lives. Lord, you are the one who supplies. There is nothing, your arm is not too short. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. So we're asking you for your mercy and your grace to be extended to all these, Lord, who have suffered loss. Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your provision, God. Thank you for our community. Thank you for the DFW Metroplex, God. Thank you, Lord, for watching over us. Lord, that there would be people who would gather around, Lord. There would be people who would gather around and help one another, Lord, during this time in the name of Jesus. And that your ministry, Lord, would be known. Hallelujah. That the gospel, Lord, would, be, would fall on ears, Lord. That this is a time, Lord, where when they're looking for answers. And, and, and Lord, there are times, this is a time when people are confused. This is a time where people are going to say erroneous things, that this came from God. But, Lord, I thank you that this did not come from you. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who will bring the good thing into their life in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for, for helping people to see your goodness in this time of turmoil. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Amen. Verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Remember, we were talking about the book of Galatians. This is Paul's strong, strong defense of the gospel. Not only of the gospel, but his stance as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very beginning, he let us know at the opening of the book, I didn't, I didn't become an apostle because somebody laid hands on me, because some man taught me, because somebody talked me into this. I'm an apostle because Jesus Christ revealed himself to me, and he called me into this. And so, and then he begins to defend the pure gospel. And he started talking to the Galatians. He started saying, how, what happened along the way? I came to you and I preached the gospel to you. And now others have come in and tried to teach you that real righteousness, to keep your righteousness, is to do right and to, to do good works. How many of you know good works are good? Right? As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which the Father prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we know that good works are extremely important for the believer. It's, it's not just something that we're supposed to do. It's actually the byproduct of who we are. Right? right? If we're his workmanship, then the natural course then is for us to do good works. Amen. It's not that difficult. Boy, I just need to do better. Boy, I need to be a better Christian. <laughs> Listen, if you'll just realize who you are, then you'll do what you're supposed to do. Most people just are lost in who they are. They don't have any identity, right? And so Paul is content trying to remind them, hey, 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 you didn't get into this thing by your stellar performance, right? It wasn't because you were so cute. It was because you went to church so many times and, you know, you had a good Bible study and reading program. No, you got into this thing because Jesus Christ, by his mercy, saved you with his own blood, right? And when you put your faith in him, that's, that's, how you, that's how you received every good thing from God. And so now he's saying, now you got in this thing by the spirit, but now you're being made perfect by the flesh. And he says they're foolish and they're bewitched, right? Because, because people came in and told them that they needed to do certain things now that they were Christian. If you're a real Christian, you'll do this. If you're a real Christian, you'll do that. See, the law is a system by how... <clears throat> You relate to God. It's not merely a list of rules. You have an idea 
in your mind, I think everybody in here, you have, we all have an idea of how we relate to God, okay? So we either think in terms of the law when it comes to God, or we think in terms of the grace of God. Now, before you just count off and say, I don't, I don't think according to the law, I think according to, the gra- according to grace. Maybe. I hope so. I hope you're totally free in that. But I think that we all find ourselves at times measuring ourselves by the law. Yeah. It's the tendency of man. Yeah. It's just the tendency of man. And we have to be vigilant to stay in grace. Yeah. Don't forget, the law came because man asked for it was not God's intention. It was not God's idea. God invited all of them on that mountain. He invited all of Israel on that mountain. And when they looked up there and they saw the kind of thing that we saw yesterday in Dallas, black smoke, thundering, lightning, they were like, I don't think so. What can you blame them? I mean, in the natural, that's a scary, scary thing. God wouldn't bring them up there to kill them, Right? And so they said, no, 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 Moses, I'll tell you what, you just, I'm paraphrasing, but what they, what they said basically was, you tell God to tell us what to do, and we'll keep all of the law. Yeah. Oh, the arrogance of man. We'll keep it to the nth degree. We'll, we'll dot every I, we'll cross every T. Garbage. Yeah. Right? And God knew that wasn't going to happen. Right? Because when he, when he gave the Ten Commandments, when he gave the Ten Commandments, you know all those Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the norm, name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so on and so forth. And, and it gets down to thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not um, uh, bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then the very last commandment basically says this, and don't even think about those things. I mean, at, the, at this point, you're like, I'm good there, I'm good there, I'm good. Oh, don't even think about it. Mm. Right? Even, remember when Jesus said, hey, he, if you even think about adultery, it's the same as committing adultery. Mm. Well, that law just getting tougher and tougher, Jesus. Right? So we either think in terms of law or we think in terms of grace. The thinking of law says that you measure up to God according to what you do. If you're good, God loves you and accepts you. Right? Now, if you're bad, God's not so sure about you. All right? And he certainly won't accept you. It's all based then on your performance. But the thinking of grace says, my standing with God isn't dependent on my own performance, thank God, but by what Jesus Christ has done for me and in me. So my job is to put all my faith in Jesus then, right? To trust totally in him and his work, and then God takes care of my standing with him. All right? All right? Now, so we know this teaching to be true, but to practice it is another thing. Because, man, I'm telling you what, all we ever do is look on the outside, Right? All we ever do. I mean, how many of you ever heard this 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 phrase? You hear you see hear that somebody is that you know say they were in church whatever and they got out and they got they they fell into some sin and 
And then we, and we've, we might even said it ourselves. We heard people say, you know, I wonder if they are ever really saved. Right? I wonder if they were ever really saved. And the problem with that is, the problem with that is, is that all of a sudden, we're judging their salvation by what they do or don't do. Now we'll tell them, oh, you get in by grace, praise God, it's free. Right? But then if they, if they, if they begin to act <laughs> in a different way, as we all have, they act contrary to that truth, then we go, oh, wait a second, maybe, maybe you weren't really saved. Who in the world are we to ever say anything like that? Right? God said, you look on the outside, but I'm looking at the heart. Right? Now, we know that fruit, that, that the believer bears fruit, right? But there, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, he didn't say, if you abide in my word, then you will arrive at discipleship. No, he said, if you abide in my word, then you be my disciples. Then that is where you are. That's what you are. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. How many of you know there's a difference between being a son and a disciple? Right? And we put those things right in the same group all the time. Right? You could be a son and not be a disciple because you're going to be judged according to your works, not according to your sonship as a child of God. You won't be judged according to your your, your sonship, judged according to your works. Thank God. But don't act like that's not a big deal. Amen? We can't act like that's not a big deal. Oh, well, well, praise God, I'm going to heaven. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Remember what, I love what Phil said Sunday. He said, good works don't get you to heaven, but they can help others get there. Because the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why would we do good works? For others! So that others can see this good God working in our lives. So that others can see the grace of God, what it has done for our lives. Right? The proper response to it is to live for Him. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Yard's looking at me funny, so let's keep going. All right. But so, okay, so why then, why then would anyone want to be under the law? What he says, remember what he said there in 21. He says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, you who want to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Now, we can't be too hard on these guys because let's be honest about the law. There are some good things about being under the law. Number one is that it's a very handy checklist. All right? Because we all know what it means to trust in God, right? If, you, if anybody read the Amplified version of the Bible in here, you know that's the guitar player's version. Ampli- amplified. Yeah. The Amplified version of the Bible gives all the Greek descriptions, right, of the words. I mean, you read it, and it's like adjective, comma, adjective, adjective. And by the time I get through one verse, I go, oh, hang on a second. got to think about that for a little bit. You know, Joyce Meyer, she preaches from the Amplified. I just go, yeah, wow. But the word, but to, to, when, when you see the word faith in the Amplified, it says trust in, cling to, rely on. Yeah. Trust in, cling to, rely on. I love that. Right? So we know what trust means to trust and to cling to and rely on him. <laughs> but it's difficult to put our finger on that, isn't it? 
because it's sort of ethereal in its thought. Trusting God. But when I have the law, right, it's easy. I've got this nifty little checklist, right? I don't smoke, check. I don't drink, check. I don't chew, check. I don't dance with the girls that do, check. (laughs) All right? So we have our nice little checklist, and it'd be nice if we could just live our lives by that simple little, just give me the to-do list, right? So it's harder, I mean, it's handier, let me say, to have the checklist, and, and it's enticing for people to choose to be under the law then, right? Number two reason why the law is so enticing and why people would want to be under it is that it's another reason why people would want to be under that law is because it's, it's a gauge for comparison. We can always compliment ourselves because we keep the rules better than some other people do, right? I'm preaching real good right now. All right. You might find yourself lacking in keeping the rules compared to some people, but you know for sure you've got a whole lot of other people beat by the checklist. I'm not Pastor Everett, but I saw Joe Schmo smoking in the parking lot on the way into church. I know I don't do that. I never see her enter into praise and worship. I do, check. That guy only comes every other week. I come every week and Wednesdays. Check. Huh? Come on. Y'all don't get too religious on me out there, huh? Doubles and a gold star for Wednesday nights. It enables us. Mm. We like it. We like it because of these things. And another reason, the third reason here, and we, we're, it's tempting to put ourselves in the law, is it enables us to take credit then for our own salvation. And you know, the thing is, all this is, a, is these are really just pride issues. Yeah. Right? See, we know why we're going to heaven because we keep all the rules. Hmm? We've checked off every box. We did it our way. Right? We are, we're worthy now to walk on those streets of gold. Because we checked all the boxes. There's a song when I was a kid we used to sing. I like this song. It's not great theologically, but I remember we sang it all the time. It said, I woke up. This morning feeling fine. I woke up with heaven on my mind. I woke up with joy in my soul. Because I knew the Lord had control. I knew I was walking in the light. Because I'd been on my knees in the night. Check. I'm walking a lot because I pray. And I'd pray till the Lord gave a sign. And now I'm feeling mighty fine. I imagine you are. You feel real good about yourself when you do all that righteous stuff, don't you? Yeah, we do. Under the law, see, it's what you do for God that makes you right with him. But under grace, it's what God did for you that makes you right with him. Hallelujah. 
I mean, think about it. What man is there that can truly say that he did a better job than God did? The Christian has no business living under the law. Yet there's this continual magnetic pull towards it. You know, like, like when the X-Fighter in Star Wars would get too close to the destroyer or to the, the Death Star and that tractor beam would whoop, reach out and grab it. And whoop, Y'all remember Star Wars? And it'd suck it in. They couldn't, there's nothing they could do about it, right? It's that law. It's continually, come over here. It'll make you feel real good, All right? But he says, do you not hear the law? Then he takes us over to Genesis. It's interesting. Let's, let's turn over to Genesis for just a moment. Chapter 16. Are you guys okay so far? Yes. Now, I'm going to read to you 22 and 23 at this point of Galatians, but go to Galatians, or Genesis 6, uh, 16. Uh, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman... Through promise, all right? So apparently Paul is assuming everybody knows the story, right? He's about to give an allegory. He's about to give a symbol of what he's trying to say, all right? He's going to give, so what he says is, don't, don't you know, can you hear the law? Abraham had two sons, right? One of a bond, one of a free. Now let's, let's, look, at, let's look at Genesis chapter 16 now. I'm going to read a few verses. I want you to just hear this story. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant or a slave whose name was Hagar. I hope she didn't look like her name. (laughs) Three-fifths of her name is Hag. All right. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And it was her right as, as the mother, as the, as the lady of the house, to require children of the handmaid if she couldn't have them and she could bear children through her. All right? Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Of course he did. He's a man. Verse 3, then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, right? We see no argument from this guy at all, right? I mean, she's 90 years old. Sarah's 90. I don't know how old Hagar was. Uh, no, Sarah's not 90 at this point. She's not 90. He's 70. How old is he? 85. He's 85. So she's 75 at this point. Where are we? After Abram had... After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. Let's continue. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, that is, her mistress became despised in her eyes. When Sarah saw that the handmaid, had, that Hagar had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The, Lord's, the Lord judged between you and me. What does the Bible say about a woman scorned? Better to dwell on the rooftop than to be in the house with that woman. So Abram said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please, sweetie. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. 
And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. What a blessing. What a blessing. But the only reason that she's getting this blessing is because of Abraham. Because God had already made a promise to Abraham. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. All right? And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. How many of we know that that's true today? Amen. Right? And every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. Isn't that interesting that she said that? Do you remember what Abraham called the mountain after he took Isaac up there to sacrifice him? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees. She said, you are the God who sees. For She said, I have, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, observe, it's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. So we see the story here. Now, let's uh, go ahead and jump over to 17, Michael, in verse 15 there. And look at this. Abram was 86. Uh, then God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall, her, shall be her name. <laughs> Is that what you were laughing at? That's, that's how they said it. And I will bless her. Wasn't just hawking a loogie. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Now listen to this. So God tells, tells Abram, nice try, but that ain't my plan, right. right? And I will bless her, that is Sarah, and give you a son by her, that's Sarah. And then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abram, Abraham fell on his face and laughed, said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now at this point, uh, Ishmael is 14 years old. All right, well, he's 13 here because Abraham, Abraham is actually 99 here. And then Sarah's 89. Uh, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before. Hey, God, I did this. Why don't you just bless what I did? Right? You told me I was gonna have a son. We did it. How come my way's not good enough? Right? I thought I would just assist you in the process of the promise. We all may be a little bit guilty of that, right? God gives us the word, so we think, okay, how can I help him out? All right? And we rush into something. God wants to provide us with something, and many times, ladies and gentlemen, we'll find ourselves going into debt to get it, when that was never God's plan to do it. Hmm? Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before. Can't we just make this thing work? Then God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. 
Wow. What an amazing thing. See, God is showing Abraham and all of us something really powerful here. That he is able to do whatever he says he is able to do. Are you hearing me? He's able to do it. If he says it, then he's able. And if he says it, you're also able. All right? Took a a 99-year-old man, an 89-year-old woman, and they had a child. Now, they had to do their part in the process. So he had to do a little, well, he had to help the old man, I'm just going to say. All right? But, but he did. And she conceived and bore a child. There was a lady not too long ago, a 60-year-old woman that was all over Yahoo News, or all over the news, really, that had a child. We were like 60 years old. This woman's 90. All right? 90 years old, having babies. Let me just say one thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a science to this. And so I'm not saying that this is like, uh, don't, don't, I'm not saying this is doctrine, all right? But I just thought it was interesting in some of the phrasing of this, this story. That in Genesis 16:3 it says, Abraham took Hagar after dwelling in Canaan for 10 years. 10 years. And the result of that was a work of the flesh. Now, the Ten Commandments could only be realized in the flesh. You could only perform the Ten Commandments by the outward man. What you did or what you did not do, what you said or what you did not say. And then Abraham Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born, and he's 100 when Isaac is born. How many years are there between? 14 years. That's a significant number, too. Because from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the captivity of Babylon is 14 generations. From the captivity of Babylon to Jesus is 14 generations. I don't think those numbers are on accident. Romans 8, 3 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. See, the law could only be realized through the flesh. It couldn't do anything about the inner man. It couldn't change the condition of man. All it could do was draw a contrast of how holy and righteous and good it is and how awful we were. But the, right, the, the law was powerless to save us. It could only tell us, do this, don't do that. Say this, don't say that. Yeah. Right? They just had us jumping through hoops, doing whatever we could do. Paul assumes that these guys know the story of Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac and Abraham. Verse 22 of Galatians, let's go over there now. Are you with me? Stay with me a few more minutes. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. How many sons did he have? The one by a bondwoman, Hagar, the one by a free woman, Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the what? Flesh. But he of the free woman through promise. Oh. See, the Jews, they love to tout their heritage and their, their, their lineage from Father Abraham. Remember in John chapter 8 when they got in this debate with Jesus? We are of our father. Abraham is our father. And Jesus corrected him and said, you're of your father the devil. Right? That's exactly what he said. But in truth, naturally, physically, 
they were children of Abraham. So Paul takes the argument to the next step. I love this. He says, Abraham had two sons. Yeah, Abraham is your father, but who is your mother? That's the real question here. Who is your mother? Because these two sons had different mamas. Ishmael is bondage. Isaac is freedom. Ishmael is according to the flesh, which equals self-righteousness. Isaac is according to promise, which is the power of God. Verse 24, which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. That's where the law was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Why? Because they're living according to the law. Now, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. The Jerusalem above is, what, what is it? There's Jerusalem here, there's Jerusalem above. What is he talking about? He's talking about this place called glory. He's talking about this new Jerusalem. He's talking about heaven coming to earth rather than earth trying to reach heaven. All right? See, today people are making their own individual covenants with God. There's two covenants, he said. But people are always making their own, their own covenants with God. I mean, how many Americans are there? Are there 300 million? Something like that. 300 million. And 100 million vote on American Idol. But, but they cut their own. But, but here's what people are doing. They cut their own deal with God. Right? Always making deals with the Almighty. And when you cut your own deal with God, it's amazing how the terms are always favorable to you. Right? You've heard me tell this. That guy that was looking for a parking lot, a parking spot at a crowded parking lot. One day, his wife sent him on an errand to the grocery store, and he's driving, I mean, there is not one single space open, and he's driving all over the place, and then it starts to rain. So he's driving around going, oh, man, I don't want to get out in this rain. And finally, he looks up at God, and he says, all right, God, i tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. If you'll open up a parking spot right in front of the store for me, I'll quit drinking, and I'll, I'll, I'll quit going to the bar. And as he's saying that, he sees somebody pull out right in front of the store. And he says, never mind, God, I found a spot. <laughs> we, always, we always make these terms favorable to us, right? However, it's convenient for us. However, it will help us, right? But God says there's two covenants. There's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. And he invites us all to come into this new and living way through the Lord Jesus Christ where he made it wide open access to God by his blood. Hallelujah. See, it just don't work like that where we just make deals with God because there's two covenants. A covenant that was cut in the body and blood of his son. A covenant that says, I will write my laws on their hearts and on their minds. And I will be their God and they will be my people. The first covenant is the law. The new covenant is grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, you know what the truth is? There is nothing more practical for your life 
than knowing that you are a child of God. There's just nothing more practical than that for your life. That's where it all starts. Yeah, I know you need a better marriage. Yeah, I know you need help in, your, in, in learning how to be a good steward and, 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 and raising kids and, and how to behave on your job and how, you know, all, how to increase in life and how to be a better witness. I know that we all need those things, but the truth is it all stems out of that reality of your relationship with God. See, we, again, it's the checklist thing. We like to put everything in category. God's first, number one, wife Kids, second, job, third, however we want to do that. But the truth is, that's not it. God is the center. He's the hub. And everything in our life flows out of that center. Right? My relationship with God affects my marriage. My relationship with God affects how I raise my children. My, my relationship with God affects how I perform on the job. Hallelujah. It affects how I live my life. It affects what, what I say. It affects what I don't say. It affects how I think. Are you hearing me? It's not just one more to-do list in my life. I'm just trying to keep God up there at the top somewhere. No, he's in the center of my life. And my life is lived out of that reality of this beautiful relationship with him. This covenant based on Isaac comes down from heaven. The covenant from Ishmael comes from earth. This is the essence of every religion, even including, I'll just say, Christian legalism. It's Earth reaching up to heaven. Right? And that's why people say, well, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Thank you, Miss Oprah, you great theologian, you. If you're just sincere about it, if you really just, just believe however you do and just do your best, God wouldn't send you to hell. No, God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves there. Period. People send themselves there. God did not create hell for men. It was never his intention. The Bible says he created it for the devil and his angels. And men choose to go to a place they don't belong. It was never created for them. That's why the scripture also teaches us that hell is having to expand its walls. It's having to make room because people that don't belong there go there. And heaven's wide open. It's for everybody. But men who reject God sentence themselves to eternal punishment, not God. Are you hearing me? It's, it's man aspiring to, to climb a ladder and to do the best he can before God. I, I know a guy I was talking to some time ago, a preacher, and he was a child. He attended catechism classes. And his teacher told him, he can remember as a little boy, he said, I remember her saying, getting to heaven is like climbing a ladder. Every time you do something good, you take a step up. And every time you do something bad, you take a step down. What a hopeless, what a hopeless existence. And so you have to hope that the good things you do are so much better than the bad things. And you hope you're not taking one step forward and two steps back. Right? And basically you just cross your fingers and hope you get there in the end. And nothing could be further from the truth. We don't reach up to heaven and grab it. God reached down to us and brought us to heaven. Thank God. God so loved us that he became like us. And in doing that, he empowered us to be like him by simple faith in him. Verse 27, I'm almost done. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. 
Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more. Everybody say many more. Many more children than she who has a husband. Abraham, I love this. Abraham represents faith. As a matter of fact, he's called our father of faith, isn't he? And Sarah, well, she's grace. And when faith meets grace, a promise is born. God takes the desolate and makes many more with the desolate. He proved that with Sarah here. He even proved it with her daughter, I mean, their their daughter-in-law and their granddaughter-in-law. Barren had children. Barren had children. Barren had children, generation after generation after generation. And they all, by God's miracle power, had children. It's amazing how God shows himself strong over and over again in a barren womb. What's impossible with men is not impossible with God. But then God did something even more extraordinary than that. He took the most barren womb possible, a little girl by the name of Mary, who was a virgin. And he saved the world. And the Bible says that through one man's sin, death came to all, much more. Those who receive the abundant grace and the gift of righteousness through that other man, Jesus Christ, will reign in life. Much more. Look what he did with that little desolate, barren, virgin womb. Much more. Much more. Now, we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Say, I'm a child of promise. But as he was born according to the flesh... Then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Even so it is now. So what he's saying is, Ishmael sees Isaac, and he realizes that Isaac is the favored one, and so he despises him, and and he persecutes him. And Paul says that even happens today. Ishmael is still persecuting Isaac. The legalistic Christian is still persecuting the one who's free in grace. Huh? Hallelujah. The legalists, they cannot stand someone who lives in grace and the liberty of Christ. They just can't stand it. Because the reason is because they're working so hard, right? They've got so many things checked off on that checklist. And they see some guy just loving his relationship with God. Oh, man, he's just loving Jesus. And they can't see why you enjoy the love of God so much. Why would God love you so much? What do you do for him? God loves me so much because he loves Jesus so much. And I am in Jesus, and Jesus is in me. So I get everything he gets. Can I get a good amen? Amen. See, our position in him, mm, our position in Christ far outweighs our performance for him. I'm going to say that again. Our position in him far outweighs our performance for him. That's why you have to know who you are. And not identify with yourself by what you do, but by who you are in him. Amen. The legalist persecutes him who is simply saved by grace through faith. Verse 30, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman. What a strong word that is. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. 
For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Now, I don't know if you heard this growing up. I remember as a kid, you know, the preacher, he had, all, well, he, had, he had a few different things he would throw out there at us to scare the absolute bejesus out of us, right? Anything to get us at the altar feeling bad about something, right? Feeling bad about our life. So he had, he had this, he had this I'd call him a bag of tricks, right? And if the altar wasn't going all that well, he'd pull out another trick. And he would, he would work on them, work on you, work on you. And then a few more people would get up and they'd come down. That boy would be crying. And he just wouldn't like that not everybody was at that altar. So he'd pull out another trick. Anybody been in that service? You know what I'm talking about, right? So <laughs> I remember hearing this as a kid all the time. You used to scare the crowd out of me because, I didn't, you know, I'm just, I'm just a kid. I'm trusting the preacher. He'd say, oh, many are going to be surprised that day. There will be so many people, they're going to be surprised that day. People think they're living, for, doing the right. They think they're Christians and they get up there. Oh, boy, they're going to find out something different. Well, buddy, I think you're the one that's going to be surprised because the Bible says cast out the bondwoman and her son, the one who's living according to the law, living by the checklist. He's not an heir. If anybody's going to be surprised, buddy, it's going to be you. Because if you think for one minute that your righteousness comes by what you do, you are not saved. Period. You can be streaky clean, I mean, and go straight to hell. Because the moment you take your eyes off Jesus and put your eyes on yourself and begin to trust in your own ability, is the moment you set yourself on the path for destruction. Can I get a good, good amen on that one? Somebody, we need to just right now just say, thank God for Jesus. Hmm? Cast out the bondwoman. So there has to be a division, what it's showing us, between these two. They cannot live under the same roof. They can't be in the same house. Grace and law, they don't mix. Are you hearing me? Ishmael, you have to go. You're not welcome here. Ishmael doesn't get the inheritance. Isaac gets the inheritance. The law is not a balance for grace. I've heard it said it is. You can't preach all that. You can't preach too much grace. You've got to balance that out. Balance it? Man, grace is balance. Amen. See, the Bible teaches me that it is in grace that I stand. It actually helps me stand. Right. I stand in grace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified, I mean, uh, yeah, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the what? Of the free. See, grace was God's answer for man. Not one half of an answer. It was the answer for man. And how do we respond to grace? How do we get grace working in our lives? Huh? Faith meets grace. Faith meets grace. 
Faith meets grace. All right? It's the only proper response to grace. It's the only thing that gets grace working in your life is faith in God. Yeah, but I feel like I got to do something. Yeah, you got to believe. You got to believe. You have to believe. You have to believe that God is that good. You have to believe that God loves you that much. You have to believe that God really is for you. He's not against you. You have to believe that God really did get over your sin. That that's not between, as far as he's concerned, that's not between him and you. Jesus took the sin for you. He got in between you and God, hallelujah, and took the full brunt of the punishment on himself so that you could have free access to his grace. If God doesn't see that sin, then you must not see that sin either. You have to see that you are righteous by him. And the only way you can do that is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Has this encouraged you tonight? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Once again, thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. We invite you to check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com for upcoming events and information about us. God bless you.